I grew up there. All my friends are from there. Maybe one day I'll even get out of there. I think I like you. You're honest. The body of an 18-year-old girl, Tracy Myers, was found this morning. Please, you need to go now. Do you guys really think he did it? That dog should be locked away. You don't think maybe Phoenix did more than just scare off now? I've known Phoenix my entire life. How can you really know someone in just a couple of days? Well, you could have told the cops. Or even my mum, why didn't you? I keep to myself. She's waiting for me. She's waiting for me to show up. Cops haven't charged him. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Why are you defending him? Shane! You got a chance to do better. Is it better then? Why now? For no one. You don't know that, boy. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not going to close myself off of the world anymore. the trailer for The Crossing. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode, I'm joined by The Crossing director Stephen Mahalovich and producer Carl Maharana to discuss their new coming-of-age drama. The two also co-wrote the film. After the murder of a young girl in the Perth Hills, three boys harass a reclusive Aboriginal man known in the neighbourhood as Black Bobby played by Kelton Pell. One of the boys, Chris, played by Luke Morgan, must apologise to Bobby and make amends. Encouraged by his media classmate and friend, Abby, Georgia Ayres, Chris builds an unlikely friendship with Bobby. Old friendships are tested and new friendships take shape against the forces of ignorance and crime in the neighbourhood. Betrayal, incarceration and more tragedy are now all at the crossroads. I've seen this film twice now, and on the second viewing, I noticed a To Kill a Mockingbird vibe about it, with Luke Morgan, the film's main actor, playing a kind of Atticus Finch role. I'd love to know if others picked it up as well. Carl and Stephen share some great stories here about the making of The Crossing, including their decision to spell the title with an X, and they also share a very interesting story about how they cast the film following the tragic death of an original cast member. We were also given a very special opportunity to share a song from the film called We Should Have Paradise, sung by Kelton Pell, uh, which you can hear about halfway through this podcast and in the film itself. The Australian premiere of The Crossing will be held at the Revelation Film Festival in Perth on Thursday, December 10 at Lunar Leaderville. 
The film will then go on to enjoy a public release at the Backlot Perth from January. A national release date will be announced soon, so keep an eye on cinemaaustralia.com.au for that. The film is being distributed by Halo Films. Anyway, enjoy. Stephen and Carl, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to be chatting with you. Congratulations on The Crossing. Uh, I was fortunate enough to see two different versions of this film. Uh, The original cut, which was a lot longer, and now this final theatrical cut. And I have to say that this new version felt much uh, tighter and and more finely tuned and and nuanced. Um, The story at the heart of The Crossing is both beautiful and tragic, and I was completely engaged in it and moved by it. So uh, congratulations again. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. It's good to hear that. Um, Carl, you and I spoke on the phone last night and you told me that you've spent three years working on this. Uh, explain to us what it felt like uh, to know that the film is about to be released to the general public via Rev and, uh, and Halo Films who are distributing it. Um, well, that's right. Well, we started writing the film in 2018, so the start of 2018. Um, so we've... Um, seen much change in the world during that time um we've we had a i guess a first rough cut done at the start of this year 2020 and then the australian bushfires happened then COVID happened and it just kept pushing back the release so um because of that kept getting pushed back i guess um started to get a little bit anxious and nervous and when we're actually going to get this in front of audiences um so it's just a massive relief now and um and we're just really um, grateful that um, Ian Hale and Halo Films are helping us distribute it. And uh, it's just an exciting part of the journey now, really. Yeah. And Stephen? Um, yeah, exactly the same. Um, we're really, you know, it's been a long journey. Um, we didn't really think we would even really get to this point, you know. Um, we had um, uh, many battles along the way. Um, we just sort of focused on, you know, at the beginning, making a, a very authentic story and um, just kept going with that. And then sort of people are starting to really resonate with it now. And we're really excited to um, to be sort of part of Halo Films as first sort of uh, protege um, film. So um, yeah, just really exciting. Um, really um, appreciative to, to Ian Hale for everything that he's done and helping us sort of nurture the film and get to this point. So um, we're really grateful. We're just really Really happy at the moment. Mm. Uh, I've heard that some general release screenings may have already sold out. Is that true? Did, did I read that right? Yeah, that's correct. So the first um, opening night at uh, Backlot in January is already sold out and um, the other sessions are nearly selling out. So if, um, if people are interested, they have to uh, get in quick now. <laughs> um, and you two are both uh, WA locals uh, you're from this area. What does it mean to be screening at Revelation Film Festival? It feels like everyone who makes a film in WA aims to have their film screened at Rev. Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, again, really exciting. I actually... Um... I submitted um, a television pilot comedy um, to Revelation about four or five, maybe six years ago, um, and sort of got got rejected from that, and I (laughs) had a bit of a laugh about it. Um, But, um, yeah, sort of we're really – we've put everything into this film, and um, uh, we're really excited to have our um, premiere um, at Revelation. So. Fantastic. Um, before we talk about the film, let, let's go back um, uh, back to the beginning of this film. I, I'd love to know um, how you two met and how, how you formed this uh, film partnership. Well, go, it goes back probably um, yeah. 18 years. We've known each other wow. and um, it starts off when we were working at Coles together. Uh, we used to uh, stack shelves and um, to pass the time, um, 
we both discovered we love movies so we used to just talk talk about our favorite movies and um pitch ideas about movies that we wanted to write together um but i think at, at that age probably 18 19 or whatever it was um even though we were pitching ideas we couldn't really do anything about them um so that's how far back it goes and um steve ended up going into into drama um and um doing a lot of theater productions and um we kind of lost track of each other for a while but um i guess just by chance steve um moved into the same street as me many years later and then we got chatting about movies again wow that's um, fantastic so so what were some yeah. of the ideas that you were both throwing around while you were at coles uh, stacking shelves <laughs> I think it started with The Godfather, didn't it, Carl? Yeah, well, we used to talk about our favourite movies and Steve used to do a really good um, Marlon Brando impersonation. Um, he used to love Jim Carrey as well, so I used to kind of pitch him kind of, um, you know, like um, slapstick comedy uh, scenes to like do as Jim Carrey and, and just maybe not even full um, movies, but maybe just like scenes and ideas and characters that started off like that, I guess. That's a fantastic story. Well done. For many years, though. I mean, like, uh, Carl would be pitching me a story and I'd be like, eh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Then I'd pitch him one and he'd be like, eh. But, I mean, even if we sort of, um, at that point, because we, we were so young, at that point, you know, even if we sort of jumped on board, we had, <laughs> we had no means to sort of make a movie at that point. It was just, yeah, it was just fun, you know. Oh, we but- did do a couple short movies, though. So, um um, I made a short movie that um, Steve was um, a character, an MC in it. And um, when Steve wrote um, his TV series, Rockstar, I kind of just helped him with a bit of the writing. So we kind of stayed involved in each other's projects as, as much as we could. Yeah. Um, um, but it, I, think it, I think it becomes easier to sort of um, to write together, though, when you've known each other for so long. I mean, we both share an interest in character-based screenplays, um, Carl brings a lot of value with sort of plot and, and narrative development. Um, perhaps my area of strength is uh, characterizations because of my background in, in, in writing plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we both love similar themes, you know, we both love music and film. We both love the theme of the broken artists, dreams, friendships, loyalty, uh, love and human connection. Um, so yeah, I think it came together pretty quickly. Um, based on the long relationship between between us. Great. I, I want to talk about uh, your, your writing collaboration a bit later, but um, Stephen, uh, um, I, I, I we'll also talk about your performance in The Crossing uh, a bit later, but you started acting in 2008 uh, and you've got some acting credits to your name. Did you always want to do both acting and directing or, or do you have a preference? Oh, I've been a floater. <laughs> um, I've floated between creative industries for many years, um, music, um, theatre, media and education. Um, but movies, I think, was the very first sort of love of my life. Um, this was started when I was 10 um, with my dad. He'd come home from Jumbo Video with a with an esky full of movies, you know, um, classics he wanted to show me, like, you know, all the Hitchcock films. And, and then it was Jaws. Um, Jaws was the the movie that really got me going and sort of seeing that film as a young 10 year old, when my brain was like a sponge, I was just sort of uh, captivated by all of it, you know, the, 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 all the elements, the music, the shots, the dialogue, the acting. And I, I just wanted to do it all. I was this greedy little creative kid. And, um, but sort of back in the early nineties, you couldn't really just pick up a camera. So it was theater and acting and writing plays and stories. And 
and then I got obsessed with music. Um, and then it was sort of I was living a double life with sort of music and acting. And then I, I went to uni, I studied acting. And then finally, when technology caught up, um, I could pick up a camera and start making stuff. So that's when I started making short films and television pilots and, you know, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I've just kind of danced between, you know, many different forms for a long time. And, Carl, this is your first uh, film credit. Uh, has the experience of making The Crossing left you hungry for more? It has. Um, you know, filmmaking is, uh, you, ne- you need to be absolutely passionate and dedicated and resilient, I guess, um, to do it. Um, but we're fans of film, so we just love um, talking about film and, and making our own film is so thrilling. And then when you get to talk about it and share the ideas with others, it's um, it's a dream come true, really. So to answer your question, yeah, I'd definitely love to make another one. Um, and we'll see how it all plays out from here. Your background is in finance and, and you've been quite successful at it. Is that an element that you'd like to bring to your filmmaking process or, or would you rather leave uh, that finance side of it behind and, and get more into the creative side of it? Um, I like both both sides. I think I'm most happy in my life when I've kind of um, satisfying the creativity part of my mind but also the, the logical problem-solving part of my mind. Mm. Um, and as far as The Crossing goes, I got involved as a writer, just mainly as a creative um, partner. But um, as we get more and more into it, um, you know, we needed to raise finance and we needed to get resources. And I guess I just um, assumed the role of producer and doing all those bits and pieces that um, needed to be done. So, yeah, yeah, I like both. Um, I don't mind what... um, you know, just as long as it's a good project um, and I believe in it, I don't mind how I'm involved, whether it be a writer or a producer. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, let's talk about uh, uh, the writing process of The Crossing because uh, I'm keen to learn about, uh, you know, your co-writing process because I know co-writing credits don't always mean that you both sat in a room together writing this film and, uh, and I know people who share co-writing credits who have never actually met before. So can you tell us a bit about your process uh, together in, in writing the, the Crossing? Well, we we actually were writing um, another screenplay. Um, uh, we we spent about a year um, <clears throat> writing this screenplay, and then we got to a point where we were like, you know, the budget on this thing is is just way too big. We're not going to be able to actually make this thing. Um, so we had to quickly reset our our minds and expectations, and had to start thinking about what we could do um, on a budget. And so I started looking at um, things directly around me. Um, and so obviously living in the Perth Eastern Hills was a great start. Um, and then I guess being a teacher for, you know, quite some time, one of the things I noticed is kids that you've taught coming out of um school and you just sort of sometimes see them out on the street and sometimes you know being a little bit sort of misguided misled and and um sort of lacking sort of um the right positive role model in their life and that was a sad thing to see so that sort of for me was floating in my mind at the time it became the 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 starting point of the movie um three boys just out of high school getting caught in these negative cycles um and then it was yeah it was sort of it came together um, on this particular day um, in Swanview when, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening. It's sort of, there was a sort of a, I would say, a, <laughs> there was a bit of a manhunt, to be honest. Um, there was helicopters in the sky and I was going for this beautiful walk through John Forrest and um, I was talking to a few neighbours and then I kind of just, I don't know, I came up with a with a, a very um, 
quick quick draft script and I went away and um, worked on that for a couple of weeks and got some feedback um, which was more positive than what I thought it was going to be um, and that's when I sent it to Carl and he said yep look I can see the potential in this and then he started developing it into um, a much better and much layered more layered screenplay and then yeah we just sort of um, Carl took over then for a few months and I just jumped straight into casting. Wow. That's fantastic. So, so Carl, what, what is it about the drama of this story that, that appealed to you and, and uh, made you so eager to want to write it? Um, well, I guess once Steve, Steve had a pretty good uh, first draft and um, he's really great at um, understanding character and, um, and kind of finding those big emotional moments. So that was all in there. Um, so I saw the potential in that. It just needed to, I basically, my job was just to polish it, add layers and complexity and meaning and just to, to really, um, go deeper. Um, so, um, I think, um, yeah, a lot of the, we just understood each other's styles, I guess. And, um, we both liked the same things. Um, we both wanted to write an ensemble piece that wasn't just one genre. So it was more spread across lots of genres. Um, And I think we did that in the end. Yeah. Um, tell us about the title of this film and the decision to spell it Crossing with an X, because uh, I'm very eager to know the story behind this title, if there is one. Sure, I'll take that one, Steve. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so as a writer, um, it goes against my natural instincts to kind of spell things incorrectly on purpose, <laughs> but um, it was actually... Um, I guess a producer's decision and um, can got advice from um, a lawyer, uh, Lucy Silverstrand, and she said, well, you know, there's a couple other titles already called The Crossing with a C. Um, you know, if you have to be prepared to um, debate on title clearance if yes. you want to go down that path. And I said, well, we don't have any resources to debate or argue with anyone legally on title clearance, so let's just change it. So I guess um, we put Crossing with an X, X marks a spot, where the body was found. Um, uh, it's also a, a title that means a lot of things uh, because, you know, the characters at the crossroad of their lives. And um, and I guess the last point is there's a bit of a double crossing at the end. Yes. But the irony of all that is, Matt, is um, we when we got into St. Louis Film Festival, there was actually another film called The Crossing in that with a C. So wow. that's just uh, a random coincidence. Yeah, so <laughs> I think if we didn't, have the crossing with an X, we probably could have ended up in a, a battle with with that other film on who gets to to go with a C. There you go. So at first I wondered if it was uh, the right choice to do that, but uh, you know now that you've explained it, and uh, and actually now I see it as being the film's identity. Uh, mm. I, you know, I recognise it now when I come across it as being this particular film. So it's it's worked out great. It sounds. Yeah, yeah. We hope so. Um, some people are not sure how to say it. Do they say X Rossing or? The, um, <laughs> But uh, I think mo- mostly it's uh, it's worked out well. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we get into the story of the crossing and that, uh, uh, rewatching it again yesterday, uh, I wondered if there's a bit of an homage to uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, in this film, and you know, is Kubrick something that you two used to discuss, you know, when you're working in Coles? Uh, and I'm referring to the spray painting of red rum on uh, on Bobby's <laughs> fence. Yeah, absolutely. We're both fans yeah. of Kubrick. Um, yeah, so Red From was just an idea we had um, on the day, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, probably um, there's probably some other subtle influences and homages to, to Stanley Kubrick that, that are in there. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've got a long way to go to get anywhere close to, to, 
<laughs> to the same league. But um, yeah, you can't help. But um, as fans of film, can't help but you know leave little um, breadcrumbs and references to stuff that inspired you. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so um, so Stephen, uh, you know, can you tell our listeners what the film's about in your own words, just so they can get an idea of of what they're going into? Yep. Well, it's a it's a coming of age film. Um, it's a young adult thriller, um, and it's about three boys um, just sort of out of high school who are getting caught in these negative cycles of petty crime and, and drugs and whatnot, <clears throat> um, and they antagonise this reclusive Indigenous man um, known as Bobby who's been suspected um, of a murder but he hasn't been convicted. Um, and one of the boys wants to sort of break free of his, his sort of negative cycles and um, wants to do something with his life, but he doesn't really have that right person to, to help get him there. Um, and so the boys continue to antagonise this this Indigenous man. Um, and then um, Chris decides uh, that he should apologise to the uh, to, to the man. And the two of them sort of um, form this this bond, this this sort of friendship. Um, and the two of them kind of come together and help each other break free of their own um, personal. Uh, cycles. Um, Bobby's being, um, you know, this extreme reclusiveness based on, you know, years of of, of prejudice and 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 hate and race. Um, so yeah, and I, I guess that's where the drama actually sort of begins in the story. I think. Um, so yeah, I, without giving giving too much away, <laughs> that's yeah. yeah, that's that's a start anyway. So yeah, so at the heart of this story is is this race drama between uh, Chris, played by Luke Morgan, and and um, Bobby or Black Bobby, as he's referred to here, played by Kelton Pell. Do you feel a sense of responsibility to, to do this kind of story justice, considering uh, you know current events around the world regarding racism, like Black Lives Matter and and stuff like that? Yeah, I think uh, I think absolutely. I'll just answer it quick, Steve, and then yeah. throw back to you. Uh, you you have input. Yep, you're right. Uh, you're um, right. Yeah, so two things that have happened that have made this film more relevant, I guess, is that um, we've had the Black Lives Movement um, happen this year and also COVID. Um, so mm. I think both of those things have taught us really the importance of human connection and the importance of just understanding each other and not being so quick to to unfairly judge or mistreat each other. And, um, you know, so it is very... It is very um, sensitive topics but we wanted to do it justice and we think if we think we got there in the end um because the feedback's been really good yes Stephen. yep no that's it carl Carl said it (laughs) it's great (laughs) um so so let's talk about the casting of this film um you know luke luke morgan he's 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 the main character, Chris. Uh, uh, he's been acting for years now, and, and he's probably most recognised locally for his role in this social media series called Yeah Nah, which uh, he's actually very, very funny in. Uh, how did you two come a- come across Luke? Um, well, Luke was well. Luke was in the first round of auditions. I never met him before then. Um, he was a standout um, in in the first round of auditions. Um, uh, which was a relief, actually, to know that you you had your protagonist. Um, but sort of, I I was sort of thinking at first that he was going to to play um, the Angus character because um, I had seen um, some of his comedic stuff, so I knew he had good comedic timing and everything like this. But then he sort of um, he sort of said to me, I, "I'm really serious about you know auditioning for Chris." Chris is the Chris is the guy. <laughs> and I was, he was very very passionate about that. And I was like, okay, okay, all right, here we go. Um, so I auditioned him for Chris, and he was he was just amazing. You know, it was it was um, yeah, it was just like 
it was like he was Chris. So, yeah. <laughs> Did you see any of his uh, of his comedy work? Like, yeah, nah, because it, it's actually yeah, it's quite. Um, it, it was amazing to see him on screen turn this dramatic uh, performance on after seeing him in in yeah, nah, where he's actually very funny. So, did you see any of that previous work? I did, so yeah. that's why I was. Um, so before, um, before, because I checked, I checked everybody out who was going to audition before they actually auditioned. Yeah, uh, Carl, did did you have anything to do with any of the casting process of the film? I did, not as much as Steve, and yeah. I really had to trust him. And and I think he he's really got a great skill for that. Having been a drama teacher for so long, he kind of can get to the essence of what he's looking for really quick. Um, so I, I think well. The other thing, Steve probably looked at, he probably was involved with a hundred different castings, you know. So I got to see the shortlist and yeah. then um, after the shortlist there were some debates. But really we were both pretty quick to say, yep, Chris is the one. Yes. So what I what I really liked about Chris, yeah, I'd seen his Yana stuff. I really liked the, the one that they do with the Easter Bunny. That made me laugh a lot. <laughs> Um, but I think um, he convinced me that he could pull off the serious role because he just he come with a lot of notes. He come with a script and a lot of notes and opinions about what he thought the story was about and what, what he thought of the character of Chris. So he really kind of convinced us with his his work ethic and his understanding. Um, so that was great. And um, most of the other um, debates on cast uh, were really me kind of putting my producer's hat on and saying, well, um, we prefer to have a, a whole local cast if possible, but then we had two characters from interstate um, with Georgia Ayers, Ayers and um, also Jacob O'Neill. They just gave um, auditions too good to refuse. So, um, yeah, I think in the end we had to go with them. Oh, wow, that's great. Um, and so, Stephen, when was, the, uh, when was the decision made to cast yourself in the film? Because you've got quite a major role here. Oh, dear. Well, I knew this was coming. Um <laughs> Well, you know, at the beginning, you know, it was like, well, I thought, well, we both thought that, you know, I could just play the character of Phoenix. Um, I, I thought I could do it. So I threw myself into it. Um, as the script developed, though, I think the character, the role got, um, the part got a little bigger. Um, and then it was just too late. <laughs> it was it. I had to play him. <laughs> what were some of the challenges of, uh, of directing and acting in the, in the same film? Oh, um, well, I mean, oh, I mean, this, there were so many challenges, um, you know, and when you're directing, you know, for me, my biggest fear is missing out on a creative opportunity, you know, amidst all the chaos that's going on around you, all the problems you have to solve in, in the moment. So having that sort of role of acting at the same time creates a huge amount of weight, you know, um, using the left and right side of your brain um, to the max. Um, and I, I, I sort of, I really got by um, with the acting by relying on particular people on set um, that I'd sort of trusted. And I, cause I mean, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have assistant directors or anything like that. So I would rely on specific crew members um, to get me by. So I would sort of turn to some of them and say, did you believe that take, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, and then it was sort of, so I would get by with that and, I guess my own sort of instincts. So yeah, it, it was, it was, it was tough, but. <laughs> well, you've done a fantastic job. Let's just say that you, oh. you're very good in it. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, so now we move on to the big casting uh, casting decision here. It's Kelton Pell. Uh, I consider the guy to be a, a local treasure, and his performance here is you know it's an exceptional one. It may may be one of his best ever. Uh, mm. After watching it yesterday, he's he's that good in it. Um, what was it like to to watch someone of Kelton's caliber at work here? And and can you tell us a bit about that casting process? Yeah, Steve. I uh, think you should tell the story about how you actually. Um, how we found Kelton, and yeah, even sure. a bit go back further and say we had somebody else first. Oh, yeah, let's do it, do it. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> um, so Andrew Namak was um, the actor who was um, to play Bobby in the beginning, and um, about uh, a month um, from rehearsals, uh, he, he died in a, a sudden and fatal um, car accident. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it's sort of... Yeah, I mean, it sort of left us in a bit of a, a place. Um, we really didn't even know whether we should continue with the film. It was um, it was pretty full on. And we kind of got close to him uh, as well. Um, he had this sort of – he was like a gentle giant. Like he had this particular way of speaking. And, you know, we sort of started tweaking the script and the dialogue based around his mannerisms and his sort of demeanour. So we'd gotten quite close to him. So it was a bit – it was it was horrible. Um so we, it left us for a while and then we sort of, we were speaking to his wife, Mary, and we, we both, we all decided that maybe we should dedicate the film um, in memory of Andrew. So that's what we did. Um, and so, so yeah, so that was that. And then, of course, um, yeah, moving forward, um, we, needed, we needed a bobby and it was tough shoes to fill. Um, I looked at um, nearly... Well, nearly every Indigenous Australian actor out there, and Kelton's face was was sort of the the one that really spoke to me, you know. And for me, it was like at that point, it was like Kelton is Bobby, or there's there's not going to be anyone playing Bobby. <laughs> um, so then it was just a case of of getting Kelton, um, uh, and I thought, you know, I'll just keep calling, I'll just keep calling him. Um, and he can't ignore me forever. So, yeah, I, I, I emailed him the script and I just kept calling. And eventually he called me and he, he basically said straight out, you know, I want to do this. Wow. And that was that. Wow, you must have been over the moon. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very much so. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great actor. Um, we were lucky to, to have him. And he brings um, – I agree, I think it's one of his um, – standout performances and i'm not just saying that because he's in you know he's in our movie i oh, think it's a, an amazing performance yeah and so what kind of support did he offer you once he was on set i mean being a first-time director and a first-time writer and producer uh what what did he bring uh, what what did he offer you guys well um it was funny because i mean i didn't have as much time with kelton as i did with the younger cast yes. um so that was a challenge um so i you know i always say when when the ego sort of dissipates and and there's this kind of um, comfortability between between everybody, um, that's when you know that's when the masks come down and everybody can kind of get to work. But you you don't really know when that's going to happen. It, sometimes it happens straight away um, with actors, and sometimes it takes a while. So um, I think it was about the second day of shooting with Kelton that he sort of relaxed and he sort of. Um, you know, we developed a trust between each other because we really didn't know each other. Mm. Um, he sort of relaxed and I, and I felt that um, he he started to lose a lot of that kind of acting that he was 
that he was doing in the beginning before there was that level of, of trust. Yes. Um, so, yeah, after about the second day of shooting, it was pretty smooth from, from then on. So he really started to embody the character of Bobby. And um, I think he just got better and better as it went along. Yes. Um, uh, Carl, anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, well, um, I guess when you guys were talking about that, it makes me think of our first meeting with Kelton. Um, we were just so thrilled that he was actually going to take a meeting with us. Um, and we were meant to talk about the story. But what was interesting was he hadn't read the whole script. He only read his scenes. Um, and that's that's part of his process because yes. he feels yeah. like he doesn't want to know what happens to the rest of the story because as an actor and as a you know, understanding his character, it's not important for him to know what else is happening. Mm, mm. And I think um, that was actually quite, well, it was, um, it was a lesson for me in, in being a writer, but I think it just it suited the character perfectly because he is a recluse. He doesn't know what's really happening in the outside world. He just likes to keep to himself and it just, it just worked perfectly. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a great little, little uh, story there. That's, that's really good. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will take a lot away from that. Um, Kelton sings uh, this special song in the film uh, called Paradise and before we start talking about that song I'm going to do something a bit different here and actually play the song in, in its entirety um, so enjoy it and, uh, and we'll be back after the song My soul it cries because we could have paradise. My soul, it cries because we could have paradise. Paradise, paradise. Paradise, paradise We should have paradise My soul it cries because we should have paradise my soul it cries because we should have paradise 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 We all live in paradise We all live in paradise
<laughs> so, um, so, so who wrote the song and, and, and why did you want to uh, incorporate, incorporate this particular song into the film? Well, um, it was about two days before we <clears throat> had to shoot that scene. Um, and I thought that the song that we had originally planned to use was, was not going to resonate with people. Um, so I quickly sort of, I just, I jumped on the piano. It took about half an hour. Um, and I, I got together then with a, another local musician, um, Rupert John. Um, he came with a song. I came with sort of Paradise and we, we sort of showed each other our songs and I guess we went with Paradise and then we, we just fleshed it out together. Mm-hmm. He, he helped arrange it on guitar. And, and then when we showed, we showed Kelton, um, it was a rough recording of it. He just, he immediately connected with it, you know, on a, on a very deep emotional um, level. Um, so, you know, that was, that told us that we had something and we just dived in and we made it happen very quickly. Did Kelton play guitar? Um, well, well, Rupert um, actually sort of helped him learn guitar right. for for the piece. So um, it's sort of a mixture between both of them. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't like bringing stories about myself into these interviews, but Kelton taught me to play the didgeridoo very late one night after a few drinks. And uh, oh, wow. th- there's yeah. this energy about Kelton that demands that you listen uh, when he is mm. playing music or singing or, or or doing something like that. It's actually very spiritual. Did you Did you two find that? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And um, I think we knew it because you go back and you look at his career, there's lots of um, credits in you know the musical world and probably the one that I remember I recognise the most is the one with Paul Kelly. Yes. And I don't know if you, you know that, um, that music clip, I can't remember the name of the song, maybe This Land Is Ours or something, I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, and his just voice is amazing. Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Matt. You, you just... You just want you just want to just listen and you get absorbed by it. Yeah, you really do. Um, so, where did the idea for the the guitar shovels come from? Is there more of a story behind that? Yeah, that's that that come from me. So that's one of the layers I put into it. And um, well, Steve said we're both um, ex musicians, and um, I was actually trying to make a shovel guitar, and I just thought that was a perfect um, you know uh, subplot um, to you know to to give Bobby that characterization of somebody who's just tinkering away, he's happy doing that himself, but s- still connected to music, but not so much about playing, more so about the creativity of making the guitars. And, you know, he's a construction worker, so yeah, it made sense. Oh, yeah. Um, so a few final questions here. Uh, firstly, uh, can you confirm that, because uh, I've had a few, uh, a couple of people say this to me, but uh, can you confirm that there's no uh, no cockies were harmed during the making of the crossing? <laughs> we got a lot of we yes. got a lot of flack for that, Matt, because um, <laughs> when we did a, a test screening, um, it was just after the Australian bushfires, oh, and wow. oh man, did we cop it after that? Yeah, um, yeah people wanted us to cut that scene and everything, but um, I think I think it's important. Really, people were were requesting the scene be cut. Yeah, well, not the whole scene. No, but no. I guess what we show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you remember that, Steve? Yeah, I mean, people um, are very sensitive as well to to, to animals um, yes. being harmed and or seeing animals being harmed in in film. So yeah, yeah it was um, it was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting. Whose cocky was it? Where'd the cocky come from? Well, um, we owe pretty much all of that realism to our production designer um, uh, Polly. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, she pretty much rigged up the whole thing and made it look real and 
obviously it wasn't a real parrot. Um, no. So yeah, it was it was all staged. Um, and um, yeah, we we owe a lot of a lot of credit to her well, she, for that. She actually got us the job. real pro um, parrot from or cocky from her auntie as well. So oh, she was right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, oh, I've I've got a thing for cockies. I don't know what it is. I'm from the country. I just love them. I think they're beautiful birds. So I know some. Yeah. I know they're considered pests um, in most places, but there's something beautiful about a cocky, and maybe that's why people reacted so um, so strongly about it. Yeah, yeah, Oscar definitely pops on screen, and he's he's got a, he's starting to have a cult following. <laughs> he, he certainly does pop. Um, so, uh, I've got a final question here and I usually uh, wrap up my interviews with this question, but, uh, I'm uh, keen to know if you two have seen any Australian films lately that have really struck out for you and, uh, that you've really enjoyed. An ideal host. I heard that was made for 20 grand yes. and uh, it looks like it's a lot of fun. So um, really keen to see that uh, at Revelation as well. Yeah, uh, an ideal host is excellent. I, I really, really enjoyed that film, mostly because it is micro budget and you can tell that it's micro budget. It's, it's such a great mm. film. So, um, so Stephen, uh, back to you. Is there any Australian films that you've seen lately that, that, you, um, that you want to talk about? Um, oh, God, there's so many. There's so many. Um, where do I start? Um, well, I'll, look, I'll just highlight what Carl said, and I'm, I'm super looking forward to seeing the Furtis. Yeah. It just looks so epic, you know, um, and I think it's, it's going to do a lot for um, Western Australia. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm really pumped to see that. So that's the one I'm going to be sort of um, your first see i think yeah great um well gentlemen it was fantastic to speak with you and uh, and thanks a lot for sharing your stories about the making of the crossing um i hope everyone goes and sees it awesome thanks, very much, matt. thanks matt thanks for having us been a pleasure Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.